and my husband's back, actually. Honey, maybe you can just get this higher. For some reason, I couldn't. And as I'm aging, my eyes don't work as well. So that's why I actually need more light, and I need the thing up higher. <laughs> Ooh, glory, glory. Um, so that was John Howard that gave you guys the announcements. And for those of you that don't know John Howard, he actually leads the Thursday evening intercession set with Christina and Sarah Rayad. I don't know if Sarah is here today. Oh, oh, working. Okay, excellent. <laughs> At the hospital. <laughs> So we really have a tremendous team of people. Actually, in addition to leading the Thursday evening uh, intercession set, John also, actually, where's Matthew? There's Matthew. I just saw a picture this morning of these two young men playing basketball. And who won? Oh, okay, okay. So obviously one of you won this week and one of you won last week. Is that how it went? Well, I don't know if there's a way. I wish I could show it to you. It's it's crazy. Their feet are like, I don't know if there was photoshopping done, no, or maybe Will was like laying on the ground, so it just looks like amazingly high, um, but they're like superstars in the basketball world in my book, so, but yeah, we, <laughs> we do. We have a great team of people that are leading worship and prayer sets. I don't even know if everybody's here today, but um, as far as worship leaders that are leading sets at the House of Prayer, I just encourage you to go because there are so many gifted worship leaders, prayer leaders. My husband leads a set. Anna, who's right here, leads a set. Hi, Anna. Where's Daniela? Is Daniela here? Uh, this is Daniela's husband, Ricardo, in the back. Daniela leads a set. Um, Christina leads a set. Izzy leads a set. Will leads a set. <laughs> and then we have prayer, prayer leaders mingled all in there with them. So we have an amazing team of people, and we're blessed. So anyhow... For those of you that haven't been here, for the last couple of weeks, we've been actually doing a series on awakening. Uh, we talked about being awakened to the indwelling Christ, of understanding the indwelling Christ and who we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we talked about being awakened to the love of God, understanding his love for us is the foundation for our life. Last week, we talked about being awakened really from a, a spiritual state of slumber, out of spiritual sleepiness, basically. And we went through the word of God as far as the word awake and literally what it means to kind of come out, of a, out from a place of being indifferent. And so today, we kind of have a broad topic to cover. Um, but in essence, what we're talking about is we're, be, we're be talking about being awakened to the worthiness of Christ Jesus. So thank you, Christina, for the spontaneous song, Worthy. <laughs> but we are, we're actually, she didn't know that. We are, we are looking at, in the Word of God, the worthiness of Christ Jesus. But in order for us to understand the worthiness of Christ Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 4, he says that we come to know the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We come to know the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And in essence, unless we know who God is, unless we know who Jesus is, we will actually never understand his worth. And what that looks like in very practical and real terms is that if you don't actually know what something is worth, you will not value it. Let's think about this beyond spiritual, uh, a spiritual context. I actually read these two stories that I think apply very, very well. One was a man that was very, very educated and had a deep love for books, for old books, for antique books, for 
you know, things of that nature. And basically what had happened was is he came to his friend and his friend said, I was cleaning out the attic and I found this really, really old Bible. And he said it was so old you could barely read the letters on it. It was so old that, and he was describing how old it was. And so the guy that loves old books is then really inquiring. He's like, well, what would you do with the book? Where's the book? I want to look at it. He says, well, I threw it in the trash. I threw it away. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, I need, I need to see the book. And he's like, oh, no, this was like two or three days ago. It's gone. It's just gone. He's like, you don't understand. You couldn't even read it. You couldn't even make it out. And he said, well, is there anything you remember from it? He said, I do remember that it said it was like written or published or something by a guy named Gutenberg. The guy stops. He's like, it said that? It said it was an original Gutenberg. You know, and he's understanding it's like one of the original. So he's realizing that this book right here is worth about $2 million. <laughs> and then the man goes on to say, yeah, and there was like handwriting that couldn't really be made out, but it was signed by someone named Martin Luther. Chucked it in the trash. Copy of a, a Bible. <laughs> That copy would have sold for approximately $2 million, and that's the worth of it. But he had no idea the worth of what he held in his hand. So therefore, he did not understand the value, the worth, and he did not care for it in such a way. And there was a similar story. It was actually, I don't even know because I'm, I don't understand like pottery and all of those kind of things. But a family was like yard sailing and there was like this just simple cute cereal bowl that they bought for a nickel. And they like used it as a cereal bowl in their house. And it just, you know, kids used it. You know, when you let your kid use a cereal bowl, you fully anticipate that it could get broken. So this has just gone on like throughout this family for five or six years. A, a bowl that they bought for a nickel at a yard sale. And someone that was educated with pottery and ancient cultures and things like this, literally when they saw it, they identified a certain group of people that this, this piece of pottery was from, the design, all the distinction, and the worth and the value of it was like $1.5 million, this, this piece of pottery, <laughs> you know, that they as their family had just been handling without care and with absolute ease and carelessness because they didn't understand the value of it. And that's in essence actually what we're going to talk to, about today is that Oftentimes, we don't understand the worth of Jesus Christ. We don't even understand the worth of God himself because we lack the knowledge of who he is. We've lost the knowledge of who he is, so therefore we treat him casually, and we don't, we don't give him the worth that is due his name. I'm actually going to read to you. How many of you guys are familiar with A.W. Tozer? Anybody in the room? I highly, highly recommend there's a book called Knowledge of the Holy. Um, and this is actually what he says in it, and, and, and then we're going to open up to Revelations 4 and 5. It says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most important fact about any man is not what he has given time given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that compose the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Just as her most significant message is what she says about him 
or leaves unsaid about him. For her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. She can never escape the self-disclosure of her witness concerning God. I'm going to read you guys one more thing that he has to say. He says, So necessary to the church is a lofty concept of God that when the concept in any measure declines, the church with her worship and her moral standards decline along with it. The first step down from, for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. The heaviest obligation laying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him and of her. Beautifully said, isn't it? Turn your, in your Bibles to me with uh, Revelations 4. Most of you here are probably familiar with this passage of Scripture in Re Revelation 4. It's actually where John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he has a revelation of Jesus. He's, he's taken to heaven. He sees the throne room. If we're going to learn about God, one of the greatest things that we can do is go to the places in Scripture where God himself is revealed, where, where man with his physical eyes have beheld God. If you think about Ezekiel, Ezekiel encountered and had a vision of the glory of God. If you think about um, Isaiah, Isaiah encountered a vision of the glory of God. Moses encountered God. You want to look at those places in the Bible where physical men encountered the holiness of God and meditate upon it and, and look upon it and gaze upon it so that we actually would gain greater revelation and understanding of who he is. So in, in Revelations 4 and 5 is basically this, this encounter in the throne room of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight that there's three songs that are actually sung in Revelations. There's three responses that are given from the seraphim and the cherubim or the, the 24 elders, these are the songs that they're singing in response to what they are seeing. So we're going to look at what those three songs are and what they reveal about God today. So Revelations 4, verse 6 will begin, and it says, uh, Before the throne there, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, and the third living cr creature had the face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. This is the first song that we hear. This is their response to what they are seeing, is they're crying holy. Um, I'm going to go, quickly go through the rest of the passage, and then we'll park at each one of these. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, here is the response and here is what they're saying. Verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they exist and were created. 
So this is the second song that we actually see being sung in heaven and the response that we see from created beings. They're created beings. So then if you move on, it's kind of this encounter. And then 5 verse 8, it says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, what was their song? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 of thousands saying with a loud voice, here we go, this is part of the third song, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all of them I heard saying, blessing and honor, glory and power to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. I mean, we just rushed through this. But I mean, if you just took a 15, 20-minute devotional segment of your morning to meditate upon this passage of Scripture, I guarantee it will change your life. I guarantee it will change your day. I guarantee it will change your emotional makeup. I guarantee it'll change your perspective. I guarantee it will alter because it gives us the reality of, number one, God the Father, Jesus Christ, their eternal glory. But really, let's take a few minutes and look at what was the response, what was, be what was being cried out from the living creatures. And number one, we find that they're crying, holy, holy, holy. Number one, what we find, before they discuss anything of what Jesus did or anything that he's done for us as people or any of those things, we find these living creatures crying, holy, 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 that when they're beholding him, all they're doing is proclaiming who he is. You know what this says to us? That even if he never does another thing for us, that who he is, should strike our hearts with awe and wonder that he is holy. The word holy literally means perfect. The word holy, it's almost indescribable in the sense that it means completely and totally other than. It's indescribable. It's a category all of its own. The interesting thing about the word holy is that it's not, we think of it as in a moral sense, don't we? We think of it in a moral sense of whether you're holy or unholy, right? The word holy is so much far greater and surpasses the moral understanding of it. Because if you think about it this way, in 2 Timothy, how many of you guys are familiar in 2 Timothy 2.20? This is actually what it says. It says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor. The word sanctified 
and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. It's literally comparing us as being a vessel of honor, useful for the Lord. It's comparing even vessels in a house. That some, and you know why it's saying this? It's giving you the analogy and the understanding that you have some, some plates and cups in your house that are for common everyday use. But there's some that are set apart for a special purpose, and you could actually use the word meaning that they're sacred. They're set apart for a special purpose. That completely other man that it's been set apart, it's not for common use. That is the understanding for the word holy. The word holy literally means a most holy thing that is sacred. It means incomparable majesty. The word holy means worthy of reverence. That he's worthy of reverence. So we find before the throne of God, that they're crying out and describing who he is. Let's talk about this for a second. These are not fallen nature, human carnal beings. Let, let, here, here, here we go. These creatures that are crying out holy before the throne of God, they themselves are sinless beings. So how much more those of us that have actually been cleansed from unrighteousness, that have been acquainted with defilement and perversion and those things, that when we see him and we look upon the holy, that there is a response from our heart that these these uncreated beings that are in heaven, that have no acquaintance in, and no, no knowledge even of sin, that they themselves, when they look upon him, the main attribute, the response of their heart is holy. They're captivated with a God that is holy. There is an outpouring of these, of these creatures crying out for the holiness of God in a very practical way, the understanding of being set apart or, or sacred. If you think about this, Babe Ruth, what number was he? Number three? Was that his number? Was he number three? Nobody knows. Okay, I'm old. Uh, I think Babe Ruth was number, was Michael Jordan number 23? Okay. So, <laughs> meaning their numbers are not to be used. The next guy, the next, you know, years on the team, there's nobody that can have their number again. Even though every other number gets recycled, every other number is common, it's become an uncommon number for those teams. Because there's someone that they reverence that they're saying this person is worthy of reverence. So therefore, no one can touch their number after them because we're honoring them and we're reverencing them. That's actually the understanding of what it, that, that holy and sacred and set apart. So that's what we find that the first song that's being sung in heaven in response to beholding the Lord is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. Worship for who he is, not what he has done. Thanksgiving for who he is, because he actually goes on to say, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him. See, when we look upon him and we understand him for who he truly is, we are so grateful for who he is. It's awe-inspiring. It invokes gratitude inside of us. The second song that we actually find in the beginning of verse 11 is, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. 
So they, they go from worshiping him and adoring him for simply who he is, that he is holy. Then they move into saying, for you created all things. And by your will, they exist. Let's think about this for a second of the God of heaven and earth, the creator of heaven and earth, that he created all things. You know, I love the passage of scripture that says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. It's Psalms 19.1. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. Every nation shall see his glory. Psalms 97.6. The word, when you actually read the heavens declare his glory, it literally means the heavens declare his majesty. You created all things. I don't know if, Will, Will if you, I don't know if you have that image that we're able to pull up. But this is one of the things, when we want to get a perspective, when they're worshiping him, for you created all things. Most of us live so much in our little bubble, in our little sphere. You know, we're living in our, our own category of life. You know, how many of you guys are familiar with John Piper? He kind of has, I think there are like seven or eight things that he says that you should do daily in order to stay sane. Anybody here want some keys to staying sane? You feel like, (laughs) anybody feel like they border on the the boundary of, (laughs) you know what he says is one of the things that you should do daily in order to stay sane? He says you should stop everything and simply look up into the skies and look up into the heavens And begin to behold the majesty and the wonder of the heavens. That God who created the heavens and the earth. See, oftentimes we think our world, our earth is so big, don't we? We think the the planet earth, our dorm room, (laughs) our house, our family, our neighborhood, you know, our sphere of relationships, they become so big. Our job, our, our calling in life, it becomes so big. So this right here is an image. This is the earth. In comparison, we're gonna, we have a next, the next one down. So this is the earth here. There we are on planet earth. We're living our big, important life. All of those things. So here, <laughs> here's earth. <laughs> there's earth right there. And there's a couple of the other planets in our galaxy, galaxy that God created. Amazing, amazing when you start to think about the galaxies. So here's a couple of other planets. Now further out, billions of light years away, there's stars that are far away from us. Let's take a look at stars. (laughs) Oh, okay, first there's the sun. (laughs) Well, there's the sun, folks. And there you have it. There's Earth. Our big reality in life, are all consuming the things that seem to weigh on us. So there's the sun. There's the earth in comparison to the sun. Now even further, further out in space, there's the sun. Do you remember we're like dwarfed by the sun? We're like, you can't even see us on the map anymore. And then these are stars that are further out in space. So when you look up into the heavens at the twinkle, twinkle little star, Oh, I wonder how you are or who you are. That star that's bazillions and bazillions of light years away, however, if there's any scientists in the room, they could tell me actually how far it is away. 
But we're like no longer on the map here because there's the sun. And if you go back to the other image of our and us in relationship to the sun, that's fine if you can't. Then you remember the God who created the heavens and the earth. So you find that before the throne is there crying out, for you created all things. I mean, this is just a glimpse of like the universe that we live in. Then when you start talking into the mystery of the depths of the sea, the amount of creatures and things living in the bottom of the sea, the mystery of God. And you know what's even more mysterious than that? Because when we move on to the next point, they start praising him that he's redeemed us. The God of the heavens and the earth, that life is so much. I was actually, where was I driving the other day? Oh, I was someplace in L.A. You know, I'm on the other side of the country. Like, I just traveled the whole country, and then I got to see quite a bit of California while I was there. But while I was driving, just at the masses of traffic, I mean, I see traffic in Boston. That's not, like, an uncommon thing. But the traffic, when I was, like, I'm on the other side of the country, the masses of people on planet Earth alone. The amazing God of the universe that not only created every single one of them with distinct personalities, with distinct fingerprints, but knows the hair on every single one of their heads. I mean, you know, I was looking at the masses of people and I was thinking about how when I pray for revival, in all honesty, it's really, I think I have such a small vision of what, you, what that looks like. When you think about the multitudes, I mean, I'm looking at all the people thinking, I wonder what percentage of these people are in a church. <laughs> you know, I wonder what percentage of these people have contact with someone that is speaking to them and revealing Christ to them. The billions of souls upon the planet. And oftentimes we live in such a, an isolated, narrow, low, our own little sparkly world that we live in. But when you look at that these living creatures started crying out that you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. I encourage you, take time to look up into the heavens. The God of the heaven and the earth. The God that created every detail, every organism. Forget creation even as far as plants and animals and birds and insects, insects will blow your mind. I'm doing insects with my son right now. It's just crazy to me. Do you know that there's beetles that eat dung so that our planet is not overtaken by the poop? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, God, you're pretty smart. You created a bug that likes to eat dung. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, the amount of detail. But forget that. Your body is a miracle. Your body, the fact that you're sitting there and your butt knows to stay in its seat and it's not twitching out of control in chaos, the order in your physical being is just as mysterious as the order in the universe. It's miraculous. It's awe-inspiring. That is a God that should be reverenced and honored and adored and praised. He is profoundly wise. But yet he is profoundly caring of every detail of our life. It's amazing. 
You know, how many of you, just perspective on God here. Let's try, turn to Job 38. I love this. You know, when we're feeling small and narrow-minded in our lives, complaining at God like, why just stick me in Cambridge of all the places in the earth? I could be doing something better. You know, I was... <laughs> I was trying to think if it was anybody in this room. I'm like, <laughs> I have so many conversations in the course of a week. I'm trying to think if it was somebody in here. But I was in a conversation with somebody recently, and they were kind of just going through feeling like they've, like, missed God for their life. Like, almost like I missed it somehow. And I'm looking at this person who's been walking with the Lord for, like, at least five, eight years. And I just said, but you've been sincerely, like, seeking the Lord as far as I know. And, I, and, I, and they said, yeah, I have. I have, but I just feel like I missed it somewhere. Like somewhere there was a path I was supposed to take, and I didn't take it, and now I'm just like wasting my life and however old that person is. And I looked at them, and I just said, so basically you think that God wanted you to decode a message? And if you didn't decode it, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss life. You're going to miss your purpose. You're going to miss your without understanding that when we turn our heart towards him with a simple, I desire you and I want your will, that he so much more fiercely desires to reveal himself and has a jealous desire over our life and his purposes to be fulfilled in our life. So here's Job. <laughs> Job complaining. Like somehow God doesn't know what he's doing. Like God, you messed it up. You got the wrong person. You put a bullseye on the wrong head. You know, that place of kind of thinking, maybe God's forgotten about me. Maybe God's not going to see me through this one. Maybe God's abandoned me. I thought I had a call on my life, and now it seems as though I don't. There's Job complaining to the Lord. Upset with the Lord, with what he's done. And here is when the Lord speaks. I just love this. It puts life in perspective. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this? Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning star sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and I set bars and doors, then I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here, your proud waves, you must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on form like clay under the sea and stands out like, like a garment. From, from the wicked, their light is withheld and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors, the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this, where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? 
that you may take it to its territory, that you may know the paths to its home. Do you know it? Because you were born there or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? And what way is light diffused or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause, to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste and to cause, cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father? Who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heavens? Who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the cluster? He goes on and on and on. I just realized, I'm like, I'm going to read for a whole other chapter here, and everyone here. But it's limitless. He goes on with the mystery of the boundary lines that God, God is declaring that he has set, his wisdom and his order. And he's questioning Job in that place of basically saying, where were you? And what wisdom do you possess in the place that he has infinite wisdom and knowledge? Christ and Christ alone. So lastly, I want us to look at in Revelations 4 and 5, the last song that's being sung in response is the song of redemption. Chapter 5, verse 9 through 10, and then verse 12 and 13. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign upon the earth. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, blessing and honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and the lamb forever and ever. So lastly, we find they're singing the song of redemption, that he is the lamb who was slain. The lamb who was slain, that because he died for our sins, that his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That is awe-inspiring and worship-invoking. The fact that we who were once sinners have been cleansed from all unrighteousness because of the lamb that was slain. But it, it even goes further. I love this. His blood is enough to cleanse us from our sin, but his blood is enough that it then declares that you have been, been made a kingdom of priests. That not only are you now a sinner saved by grace, you have been a sinner that was saved, cleansed, washed, restored, redeemed, and now you have become a priest. That literally means that you are the holiest of holies, that there is not a more holy plateau that you can come. The Old Testament priests, they used to have to sprinkle the blood on their ear, the blood on their fingertip, the blood on their dog, you know, go through the ritual of appropriating blood so that they could stand in the holy place. This isn't the, you have been cleansed, now stay at the outer court. My blood was enough to cleanse you so that one day you can come into heaven. This was, you have been cleansed so that you can come into the most holy place. Have fellowship and communion with you, with me, he's declaring. 
That's mysterious. If we grab a hold of that, all the days of our life, we live with awe and wonder, with fascination, with gratitude. Then we actually live from the place of being able to declare, you are worthy. You're worthy of my time. See, when we understand worth, it invokes worship. And worship is more than a song. Worship is more than us putting forth a song, Lord, I give you my heart. Worship is the abandon of our lives saying, you are worthy of all that I have and all that I am. You are the God of the heavens and the earth. And then this song of redemption that he came to redeem the lowly, the fact that you care. You care about my trouble. You care about my hardship. Although you see all, you know all, you are interested in the very deep details of my life. That's awe-inspiring. That he actually knows the distance from the earth to the sun, and then from the sun to those, pl- those stars that are billion light years away. He possesses all knowledge and understanding, and yet he knows the deepest desires of our heart. I've often said, I, I feel as though it and this is for all of us. I feel as though there are things that I don't even have to utter to the Lord and say, God, would you or could you? Or the house that we now live in, I literally, when I was pregnant with my son, just walked by it. You know, I had been an intercessory missionary from the time I was who knows how old. My husband was working in construction. We were praying about him doing this full time with me. I was in a position of thinking, I will never own a home. <laughs> And I'll live on support the rest of my life. Fascinating and exciting. And I literally thought, I'll never own a home. But as I walked by this particular house, I just said, if I could ever own a home someday, that's exactly the kind of house I would want. I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't even thinking I would have it. It was more kind of like, I like the landscaping. I like the structure. I like the quaintness of it. And then years later, two years later, finding out that there was an open house, someone gave us a very generous amount of money for a down payment. And Daryl, not even seeing it, he just said, go to the open house and make an offer. <laughs> Don't you love husbands like that? But that place of I never begged the Lord for a house, I never made it my priority, the word of God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all of these things will be added. They just get added. They're just added. They're just like bonuses because they're not the real deal. That car you're praying for, that job you're praying for, all the little sparkly things on this planet that we get so fascinated with and mesmerized with, that's not the real deal. And when we get a glimpse of who he is, when we begin to behold him, to look upon him, to understand his worth, all those other things lose their sparkle. They just become momentary flashes, almost like fireflies. <laughs> I'm going to close out with this. Um, I really didn't get into our notes today, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to close out with this story. Actually, Daryl and I, we weren't married at the time. Um, I was leading a prayer ministry, and he was actually in a Christian Band, and I had done a 40-day fast, really, and I will say I was by myself in a prayer room at this church, locked myself in it, uh, <laughs> doing all-night prayer. But I, during this 40-day fast, 
I, the one thing I was praying, yes, I was praying for revival, I was praying for all those things, but I was praying Psalm, Psalm 27, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that one thing will I seek, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So for 40 days, and for those of you that know Lou Engle, he had this old CD called Extreme Disciples, and he sang Psalm 27. One thing I've desired, you know, with his voice that he... So I had that thing, I had a CD player, no live worship team, nothing amazing like that. Just there on the ugly green carpet. <laughs> uh, one thing I desire of the Lord, that one thing I will seek. And it was just what I put before the Lord of saying, God, if this 40 days, I just want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I don't even know what that looks like. So we're in a worship service corporately. Daryl's leading with his team, and he goes into that song, Agnes Day, if anybody here is familiar with it. Um, it's the, um, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And then it goes into the whole, worthy is the lamb. They went into this whole segment of singing, you are holy, holy. I'm on the front row, and all I can say to you, is in a moment as they were singing about the holiness of God, I got raptured into a place of encountering the beauty of holiness. And basically the, the, the only way I can describe it to you is in that moment of seeing the throne of God, the brightness of the shining of his glory, where the word says the beauty of holiness is that his holiness is so fascinating and so beautiful that it's literally the place where it's not like I voluntarily thought I want to move closer to that or I want to get closer. Everything within me began, I, and I almost want to say it's like there's a magnetism. You know how a magnet just draws you? Like it just, it sucks you in? In that moment, I literally was becoming, but the most extraordinary thing is most of us think, oh, you become so aware of your sin in the presence of God. Do you know what I was most aware of? As I was worshiping and I was literally traveling closer to the beauty of holiness, like coming closer to him, everything inside of me that was dark or unclean, literally light was penetrating and driving it out of me so that my whole body was becoming light. I was becoming more like him. I literally, the closer I traveled to him, the more I became light in the presence of God. But all I can say is what I was seeing and what I was tasting, what it did is it changed my appetite forever. What it did in that moment is things that formerly used to appear beautiful or tempting or attractive, all of a sudden, because I had seen true beauty and beheld it and looked upon it, nothing else appeared a beautiful and attractive any longer. All of a sudden, I began to understand what true beauty was, and, and then everything else that is not true beauty, I could clearly identify as a, a counterfeit as a facade, as something. And the extraordinary thing is that as I was in that place, I was on my knees, on the front row, before the Lord, having this encounter completely lost in God's presence. And then when I needed to come out of it, I almost had like no ability to like stand. I was weak. The extraordinary thing is afterwards, this woman that was singing on stage with him, with Daryl, came up to me and said, what was happening? 
And I said to her, I was like, why was I doing something? Like, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, was I maybe swimming toward God? Like, you know, like, what did I do? You know, like, what was my manifestation? And um, I'm like, why? Like, what? And she said, as we were singing that, she said, whenever I would look over at you, like, if I looked in your direction at you, she said, I would be caught in such a place of the presence of God I couldn't stand. It was just brought, and this is the understanding, is that we as a generation, when we talk about the knowledge of God, we have to come to a place that we are beholding who he truly is. That his, the image that we have of God, we have lowered him and reduced him to the image of man. See, we relate to him like our buddy. We relate to him like our homeboy. We relate to him like my intimate lover, my father, daddy, God. You know, all of those ways that we want him to be familiar, and he is. But yet we have lost the reverential fear. That word holy, that literally means worthy of reverence. Yes, you're my friend. Yes, you're my husband. Yes, you're my father. But it is far beyond a casual approach to you that you are the God of the heavens and the earth. And we tremble at your word. See, one day, when the day comes and he appears before all eyes, we will see him for who he truly is. And it's glorious and wonderful. I'll actually read this passage of scripture to you and we'll close out here. Um, Psalms, <clears throat> I was actually trying to find the passage of scripture that says he lowers himself and raises the poor. I don't know where that passage of scripture is. Anybody know that passage of scripture off the top of their head? It's okay if you don't. But anyway, there's a passage of scripture that talks about um, like God who dwells in light and all beauty and majesty. But then it says, and he lowers himself to raise the poor from the dust and the ashes. And that's like the most mysterious thing is that when we understand, because that passage of scripture actually uses the word majesty. He's clothed in majesty. When we understand the greatness and the magnitude of who he is, but yet he lowers himself to raise the poor from the dust and the ashes. That that's the God that we serve. That when we utter his name, when we approach him in worship, when we pray to him, that an image, that we would have a clear perspective and image of who he is and what he is worth. Because kind of where we started out today is understanding that when we understand truly the worth of something is when we value it. When we understand the worth of something, that we understand how we are to care and how we are to steward that thing. Let's stand to our feet. God, we come before you today, Father, and God, we do ask, Father, that you would restore a clear and purified knowledge of God in our generation. God, we ask that as a group of people, as a congregation, as a body of people, Lord, that even in our prayer sets all throughout the week, Father, that, Lord, that we would understand that it's the God of heaven and earth that we dialogue with. You who put the stars in their place. You who set the boundary lines for the ocean. You who know all and see all, every cell and fiber of our body and our being. That all of the universe you hold together with the word of your mouth. 
You're a God of such order that the vast expanse of this universe, you're intimately acquainted with every life. God, we ask today that you would awaken us, that you would awaken us to the knowledge of God. God, we ask that as it speaks in Romans of a people that that they no longer worshiped God as the creator, but they saw him as a creature, as a created thing, lowly. God, we say, Father, that once again, we want our hearts to be struck with the awe and the wonder of you as creator of the heavens and earth. God, we say that we want to look upon you and and truly perceive and understand that you are holy. Lord, that even as the living creatures surrounding the throne cry out, holy, 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 you are perfect. You are totally other than. You stand in incomparable majesty. God, we say we want to understand the worth of who you are that invokes worship. God, we ask, Lord, even right now for us as a congregation of people, Lord, that even as Mary of Bethany, as she poured out all that she had upon the feet of Jesus, because she understood his worth, that there was nothing that she would hold back because she, she truly perceived and understood what manner of man stood before her. God, I ask with it as Judas, as his response was, why would you waste this costly oil? Lord, as he clearly did not understand the worth and the value of Jesus Christ. God, we say that in our lives, God, we want to stand as a Mary of Bethany and not as a Judas. God, we say, Father, that we don't want to stand in reservation, holding back what we have. Lord, in essence, declaring that you are not worth my time. You are not worth my, my energy. God, we say, Lord, give us a heart like Mary of Bethany, that we perceive your worth. We perceive your greatness and your splendor, your majesty. And Lord, that our response is one that we pour out all that we are and all that we have at your feet because you're worthy of it all. God, we ask, Father, for a clear and purified image of God that invokes appropriate worship from our hearts.